This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, Today is part two uh, with Craig Steele hunting the Monroe Mountain in Utah uh, for archery elk, and you get to hear the conclusion of his hunt and how he harvested a great bull and all the things that went on with uh, getting that bull and uh, I think you guys will be able to relate to the, the trials and tribulations of archery elk hunting and the ups and downs, um, but uh, it's just an awesome episode. I want to thank Craig for being on. Uh, guys, before we get to the episode, I want to make sure that you get your Arizona Big Game Super Raffle uh, tickets uh, for antelope, bear, buffalo, coos deer, desert bighorn sheep, elk, javelina, mountain lion, mule deer, and turkey. There's also a... a, a optics raffle Swarovski optics raffle and uh, a New Mexico elk hunt Uh, I want to be clear all of this money goes back onto the ground uh, in Arizona for the specific species Uh, so all the money for antelope 38,000 last year went to antelope uh, 7,900 to bear 38,000 for buffalo 28,000 for coos deer 151,000 for desert bighorn sheep 121 for elk, 6,900 for javelina, 7,300 for mountain lion, 96,000 for mule deer, and 14,000 for turkey. Uh, Every dollar raised goes directly to wildlife and wildlife management for the particular species. Um, All of the operating expenses in this uh, raffle are covered by our sponsors. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a real unique way to give back to the animals of the state of Arizona. Not only is it a great chance to win, uh, but you know that if, if you don't win, and even if you do win, your dollars are going to an animal that we all love. So I want to encourage you. The deadline, I believe, is uh, uh, July 10th for, um, for the online, or excuse me, J- July 10th for the mail-in. Uh, applications and July 12th for the online applications. Okay guys, the drawing is July 23rd, 2015 at the Arizona Game and Fish headquarters. You don't need to be present to win. Uh, If you win, uh, winners will be contacted by phone during and immediately following the public drawing. A list of names along with their city and state will also be published on the website as soon as possible. you know, this is a great way to support the state of Arizona and the animals we love. So guys, uh, let's get right to the episode. I want to again thank Craig Steele for being on and uh, I want to wish all of you guys that have archery elk tags in your pocket this year, uh, uh, I want to wish you the best of success and I want you to take it seriously. Um, Elk tags don't come around uh, very often. I want you to enjoy it and have fun, but know that this is a great opportunity for you to enjoy hunting and I uh, wish you the best of success. So let's get right to the episode. This is part two. That can put up with my crap um, because you know I'll just be. Uh, Why does he does he put you in your place, or does he know you well enough to know when to talk and when not to talk? Well, he he knows me well enough that you know as your dad you always have an ultimate respect. 
sure. you know, um, but he knows me well enough to know that I want to go, go, go. And sometimes I do things and I say things and I act a certain way and it's not necessarily how I am. And I always come back and I'll always apologize in the heat of the moment if I say something that that uh, was disrespectful or 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 I guess um, it, it just wasn't the right thing to say. Um, you know, it's kind of like playing a, a baseball game when you're really competitive. Sometimes you do and say things in the heat of the moment that you normally wouldn't do, you know, and, and just your competitive, you know, drive gets to you. And so they were going to go up and they, they, uh, we headed out and camped in a, in a two tents. Uh, we pulled up, we were going to hunt the east side. I was going straight in there. I was going to camp do exactly opposite of what I normally do. I was going to camp, you know, really close to the elk. Um, and, uh, we pulled up on the east side. It was raining. The, the monsoon had, you know, kind of fired up and, uh, it was raining and we go kind of fired up. If yeah. that was 2013, I remember being in unit nine with Dar for about the first seven days of September and just got absolutely pounded with rain. Yeah, it was, it was pounding. And I was just, you know, kind of making light of it. But we set up camp, and you know, the, it was it was elk season, and you know, I threw my bow in the truck, but um, or my Toyota 4Runner, and got my mom and dad in there. My mom was just kind of hanging out at camp, maybe go when she could, um, and just kind of you know cook for us and whatnot. And my dad was just there to be support, to be a pickup man, um, to you know, my dad's a really good hunter. He's a really good old school hunter. You know, I'd say if he adopted some of the newer tactics with glassing a little bit more consistently and, and, you know, he, he was a little bit younger, maybe, you know, put a little bit more value in how he hunted, you know, I I think he, he, I got a lot of my skills from him. So, um, I have a lot of confidence and he's usually an under judger when he sees an animal. Um, you know, it's usually to him, it's little big or little medium or big. You know, and big's usually pretty big. Um, but when we got to camp, we got it all set up. It was, you know, we only had about an hour and a half left of daylight. And, you know, the highway on the east side, which was um, Highway 62, um, I told my dad, I said, you know, you can just, I can get somewhere and then you can just run up and down and glass from this highway every morning, you know, straight from the truck. And, when when we pulled down to the highway down by camp we stopped and i said just you know just do this and i threw i stood up and i threw my tins and i said you know just class these meadows up there and i threw my tins up and i seen a bull laying up there i mean it was i and i'm not kidding anybody i'm not exaggerating telling fish stories here i mean it was like that there's a bull right there and there was like five bulls bedded out in this meadow and the first bull i picked up looked really big so i got my scope out you're in, you're in camp i'm in just outside of camp we just pulled to the <laughs> highway uh-huh and i'm like man i gotta get a closer look so we drove around him and i uh climbed out this little hill and i got above him and i seen this bull and as soon as i see him you'll see it on uh episode uh on uh, 2013 no excuses utah archery elk hunt number one when i see this bull i say in the video i'm gonna kill you and that was what went through my mind. He had gobs of mass. I called him Mr. Heavy. And I thought, man, I'm, 
I was super lucky and super blessed to see that elk right there. And he had some cows right there, and those other bulls were kind of hanging off on him. They're a little bit lazy because the beginning of the rut. Come back down to the truck, and you know, I tell my dad, I'm like, he's like, well, what is he? You know, and I said, well, he's not that good. He's only about 340. And I, and then he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, he's a freaking tank. We're gonna hunt him in the morning. So <laughs> I, I'm known for that. I, you know, I. I do have a lot of fun on my hunts too, but when it's my own hunt, I'm super intense. But yeah, we go back. So we go back. Okay, so Craig, is this September 1st, roughly? Yeah, it's roughly September 1st. And uh, when you crawled up on that knob, were they were they bugling around and kind of nosing around, or were they just kind of, you know, the cows were over here and the bulls were over they here? They were nosing around. He was definitely with the cows. I didn't hear any bugles or see any bugles. Uh, or any bulls bugling. He was with the cows, and then there was some other bulls floating around. Um, so it wasn't like they're blowing and going right then. Um, we went, went back to camp obviously that night. And then, um, that night we heard some bulls bugling right by camp and didn't think a whole lot of it. Thought we were going to go back, get back up on this little hill. And we climbed up on that little hill. Um, my dad climbed up there with me, um, which, you know, it took him a little bit longer, but he got up there. My dad's, I mean, he, you know, for me, he, he wants to see me succeed. I mean, you want your kid, no matter if they're, you know, 33 or if they're 40 or if they're 10, you want to see your kid succeed, you know? So it's, it, it, I mean, and he had hip replacement surgery this last year and a knee replacement. So it tells you, you know, he's going through a lot of pain to get up that hill. So I was pretty thankful because I, you know, having another set of eyes up there, somebody to keep track of this bull, if we found him, we headed up there in the dark, got up there, sat up there, and I was frantic at this point in time. I was like, okay, when is, you know, this outfitter going to show up? When is this outfitter going to show up? When is, you know, is there any other hunters down here? Surely somebody else is hunting this bull. Somebody else is hunting this country. As daylight approached, we glass, 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 and probably an hour went by, and we couldn't turn that bull up. We turned some other bulls up, but we couldn't Craig, I want to interrupt you here real fast just to make a point. Here it is, you've got eight days to hunt. Here it is, you saw a bull the night before that you want to hunt. And here you are hiking up the hill to glass the bull, not in the meadow or where the bull, the last place you saw him. And I think this is a very good point that the listeners need to hear from you is that you, I'm anticipating you saying that you wanted to put your eyes on him this morning first before you go after him exactly and 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 t- tell me just a little bit why in your mind you didn't go into the meadow or the last place you saw him because they move they move okay. and they move at night it's not an antelope it's not a sheep they move at night rutting activity will push them a number of places a number and and the, and the second reason one i seen that bull and i wanted to kill that bull I didn't want to waste any time with any of the other bulls or, or chasing bugles at this point. I wanted to relocate him and kind of, you know, follow him around and, and try to make sure that every opportunity I had was with that bull. Not- okay, so before the hunt even started, uh, after the first night of seeing him, 380 type plus type bull, yes, right? Yes. Y- you said... That's the bull I want to kill. So then your mindset is, I want to get to where I can see that bull and I want to isolate that bull. 
I don't want to get stuck down in the trees chasing bugles because I won't know if it's that bull or not. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. 100%. And, it, you know, an hour went by and we didn't find him. And I turned, we turned, I can't remember if it was me or my dad, doesn't really matter. But we found him and he was the bull that was bugling by camp. He'd moved about, <laughs> he'd moved about two or three miles and he was out in the middle of this meadow. And I filmed him going across there and watched him. And he went south of camp got these little fingers so we got in the truck and drove around and uh you know my dad got up on another point and then i got up on another point and we i watched him go in some thicker trees but couldn't really tell where he's at he had about you know 12 or 15 head of cows with him um and i at this point you know you, you know i'm kind of like deciding okay what do i want to do um and this is mistake number one right here um, it was about 1030 or, or so, and I decided to go back to camp and I should have stayed up on the hill. I should have stayed with him. I should have sacrificed, you know, lunch. I should have sucked it up, uh, sipped on water and, uh, just sat up on the hill. But we went back to camp only for about an hour. And the plan was, or an hour and a half. The plan was just grab a real quick bite to eat, and then my dad was going to go back to where I was, and I was going to go around, or he was he was going to drop me off. I was going to go around and get on a different knob to the west, and then he was going to go back to where we had left him and get up there. Well, what happened was it kind of cooled off, starting to come in. That bull had got up early, and by the time I got to where I wanted to be, the bull came went back to the north, and we lost him that afternoon. So there, there's a big lesson there for guys. If you're sometimes, if you got a bull and you can definitely see where he's at or any animal, you can see where he's at. Sometimes you just got to suck it up and you just got to hang with him. Um, it, now, if you, there are certain situations where you can go back to camp. Um, but when you have a bull like this and he's in an area where you can lay out, you never know when that bull or that animal is going to do something that, it's just going to be go right in your favor. So not saying I wasn't going to get close to him and try to put a stock on him, but just keep my eyes on him, you know, to try to constantly maintain visual of the escape routes and where he was at, you know, and I was glass at him from a ways. So the next day come along, it's like, okay, we're going to go back and climb up on this big knob again. And we're going to try to relocate him again. And we, we did, we did find him. Um, he'd moved to the north and it wasn't until that afternoon my dad kept track of him that morning and then that afternoon I have to get the shocker out what's that I guess I'm getting some bumping and rattling oh, here sorry. Um, sorry about that no sweat okay go ahead so my my dad my dad uh I was keeping an eye on him on the second day and then I slipped around him took a road in the truck got within probably about a mile of him and then I he was up in this little you know kind of this little knockdown cut area and I uh waited and waited and waited until that afternoon and finally the wind got right to where I felt it was good enough that I was going to have a chance in the meadow or this knockdown area was up on the side of the hill so my dad couldn't actually see the elk so I ran down and got to uh, the east of them and come up in the trees. I actually, and this, this is another good topic. Uh, uh, the wind was not in my favor. 
until I got past the elk. But I had to go straight at the elk with the wind in their favor. But they were up in elevation enough that I felt the wind would take all my scent down the draw that I was walking in. And then I'd have to go past them and then cut back. And when I cut back, I come out of the trees and I caught a couple of the cows out there at about 60 yards. And then they kind of went off this roll of this lip of this hill and they disappeared. So I snaked my way through there. And I end up getting like 30 yards from a couple bedded cows. And I had my arrow knocked and I could see the bull just over this little rise. I could see his horns. And he come up and he got within probably 45, 50 yards of me. And I drew back. And when I drew back, I stood up because I had to stand up to shoot over this little rise. And when I stood up, them cows stood up that were laying right next to me. And... The bull stopped, I cow called, and the bull stopped facing away from me. And so, you know, I had no shot. And then I didn't realize it was as steep as it was going off the other side, and he just walked straight off the hill. And I had to watch him go straight off the hill, and it got dark. The next day, um, it took us a little while to, to find him again, and we seen some other bulls. My dad actually located the bull that I actually killed, and said, you know, you need to look at this bull too, you know, um, in case. But my heart was set on what well, I nicknamed this bull, Mister Heavy. My heart was set on him, um, and I just I remember here's part of the competitive nature in me. I remember telling my dad because he would not stop ranting and raving about this other bull. I just told my dad, if he's not as big as that bull, I don't want to hear about him. Like, I mean, because he was just like, you need to go look at this bull. You need to go look at this bull. I'm like, Dad, I don't like, don't, you know, like. Yeah, I, I, I'm like stop even telling yeah, me about I it. I'm focused on this I, bull. Yeah. I don't want to take the focus away. Exactly. So uh, another day goes by, and I think we we I probably turned down a bull that I shouldn't turn down, but he had weak fists. He was real wide. He had huge fronts. Um, in hindsight, looking at you know, I, I just he probably was as big, if not bigger, than a bull I killed, but. He just didn't have big fists, so he just didn't wow me, you know. Okay, and I, so you've passed on some bulls. I want to get a perspective on now it's, what, the 2nd, 3rd, 4th of September. What is our bugling activity? Um, I have 15 points in Utah, and one of the things that always makes me nervous is that it's, you know, uh, the, the season ends so early, you know, usually around the 10th of September. What kind of bugling activity do we have in this situation? It uh, was, it was, it was uh, light to moderate. Um, there was bulls bugling and occasionally you get one other bull. It wasn't like you had 10 other satellite bulls chowsing the herd bull. Uh, you'd have a herd. But enough to get on them and enough, enough to work Enough them. to get on them. And the total difference compared to Arizona's when they're not bugling and they're in those flat in that flat country, it's a pain in the butt. But when you can glass them from down below and they come out in those meadows, and I think part of it was the weather, um, it was a lot easier. It seemed like they came out a lot. And I'm not saying Utah archery elk hunting's easier in Arizona, but what I'm saying is for that more predictable. For that stage of the rut, it was a lot easier to sit back and glass bigger bulls than I found in Arizona during that stage of the rut. 
when in okay. Arizona, it usually seems like it needs to be blowing and glowing for you to be effective, at least in that country. Now, had I been hunting in the dark timber, it might have been a different story. But hunting in that low country where you could see up, that's that's that was my opinion. And it just felt like I've seen a number of bulls from 340 to 360, you know, probably. Okay. And, and uh, so pretty good quality elk, and and you had thunderstorms almost every day. So what you're saying is those meadows and such, those open areas, they became predictable and they were out in those opens more than you thought that they might be because of the, you know, kind of the storms and the rain and the cooler weather. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And um, going back to the fourth day, actually it's the fifth. Now we're going to go on the fifth day because I, I just couldn't get Mr. Heavy in the right spot. I catch glimpses of him, couldn't get him in the right spot. On the fifth day, he showed up back in that same spot where I almost got a shot at him. And I made almost the same moves after him. And I had him at 60 yards, and uh, they winded me. And that night, uh, uh, you know, he kind of spooked pretty good. The next morning... Um, we try to turn them. So now we're on the sixth morning. So I have two days left counting the day I'm hunting, um, to hunt. We're on the sixth morning. Um, it's calling for really heavy showers for the next two days. And, uh, it's about eight, nine o'clock and I can't turn them up. I can't turn them up. My dad can't turn them up. Uh, about 10 o'clock, uh, my dad goes and mom goes back to camp and I just told him, I said, I, I can't go back to camp. You guys go back to camp. Um, I'm just going to keep, keep glassing. So it's a, it was about noon and I ran up north a little bit further and I was actually in that country. I thought, okay, this is kind of the only where, place I haven't looked for him today or the last day and a half. And, uh, you know, I seen a couple bulls right away. They were out, out in the meadows you know, up high, out in the meadows, about midway up the mountain, out in the meadows, but I seen some bulls up there looking, and then all of a sudden I catch a glimpse of this six-point, and he had a good back end, and I knew that was the bull that my dad was talking about um, instantly, and I'm looking at him, I'm going, I basically have a day and a half to hunt, and I thought at that point, you know, that he was 360 to 380. And I know for some people that feels like, okay, you know, how can you say 360 to 380? But what a lot of people, the normal uh, novice type hunter doesn't understand is, is an inch on each tine and you can gain 12 inches. So I said 360 to 380 at that point in time, because I wanted to give myself, you know, some, at times I thought, okay, man, he looks big, but then like, what's his body size? How old is he? You know, I didn't see him around other bulls. Um, and so it was just one of those things where I thought, man, he's a good bull though. He's got a good back end. My goal was 350. So I actually called my dad and my mom on the phone. I said, Hey, I got this bull. Come on up. By the time they got to me, they couldn't even see the bull. It was raining so hard. And I told him, I said, well, just watch that meadow up there. I'm going to go up after him. So I drove the truck up as far as I could get her, my Toyota up as far as I could get um, or felt comfortable with and end up going up the hill probably another, probably about three quarters of a mile to a mile, got to the edge of the meadow, 
um, where he was at, stopped in the trees, watched the bull. He was probably about 150 yards at this point. Um, it's raining. I mean, I'm soaked. It's just the soaker. I mean, it is soaked. So this bull did have about three cows, I believe, three or four cows. And when I got up to him, my gut said 360. Um, but at that point, I'm 150 yards with a day and a half left of a 360 bull. Haven't seen Mr. Heavy in a day and a half. And I go into what I call kill mode with my bow. Um, at this point in time, I'm in kill mode. I'm like, okay, all these calculations, all these things going on in my head, everything going on, I need to kill this bull. And so at that point in time, I shut down. There was no field judging or anything at that point in time. He is what he is, and I'm going to kill him. And he come out of the trees. He went. He got up. He went into the trees for a little bit, and then he come out. He bugled once or twice. He come out, and he fed for a little while. And then he bedded right out in this wide open. There's knockdowns or, or chainings um, in this meadow. So there's old dead stumps in there. Um, and there's some sunflowers and stuff like that. And he was uphill from me. So I just said, I'm just going to, it was raining. I'm just going to crawl right to him using these knockdowns. And he's out in this open. So it's like hunting a mule deer buck, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm crawling right to him. I, I, I finally get, you know, he's, he's every time he would turn his head and, and look the other way, I'd crawl a little bit further. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to get my bow muddy. Um, I, I'm just drenched to the core. Um, and I get within 60 yards of him, and he stands up, and he starts feeding. So at this point, I felt good. You know, I've been bow hunting ever since. I killed my first archery elk when I was 13. Um, I, I've been bow hunting for a long time. And not that I'm the best bow hunter in the world. There's a lot of guys that can outshoot me um, completely. But I, I'd been shooting my bow out to 120 yards. Not that I'd shoot an elk at that far. But I felt if he was within 70 yards, I could kill him. Um, I felt really confident. I will Now, I will tell you that I feel even more confident I really wanted that bull to be 60 yards and under. Um, and it, the closer, the better. So he was feeding, and he got to like 50 yards, but he never would present a shot. Um, and then he turned, and he walked right back up where he was batted. I was on my knees. Um, I was, everything was so wet because it was raining so hard. I was a little bit worried about my string and having so much water on my bow. Um, when he come out, when he come to my left back over where he was bedded, you know, I drew back and when I shot, I squeezed, he was at 60 yards. He was completely broadside. Um, or at least I felt he was completely broadside. And when I let go, my bow made just this hellacious twink and it was all the water that was on my cables and string. And with that being said, I'm not going to make a huge excuse here. I kind of, I think I gripped my bow and just torqued it a little bit to the right, which I have a tendency to do. And I immediately saw my arrow hit him, but it hit him way back, about nine, ten inches. And, I mean, and low, um, which is good, but but also it was way back. It may even be more back than what, I, what I'm recollecting right now. It might have been. What did the bull do when you hit him? 
When I hit, what was his first thing he when did? When I hit him, he he ran about ten steps and turned around and faced downhill directly at me. At that point in time, I knocked another arrow, and I'm shooting the Montana Black Gold sights with a dial, and I dialed it up to 72 yards. Got a range on him, 72 yards, but there was a, some sunflowers in the way. And at this point, and this is my personal opinion, whenever you have a hit animal, I just I want to get another arrow in him. Wherever you can hit them, right? Yes. At, at that at him. that point in time, you want to get another arrow. I felt I gut shot him, and so I was going to shoot him head on at 72 yards. And I drew back, and I just couldn't find a lane because of the sunflowers were so high, and I was downhill. And the bull wheeled and took off. And I was shaking, of course. Um, I got back down to my pack called my parents on the radio, said, hey, I'm coming back down. I said, did you get to watch it? They said, no, we didn't see anything. We can't. It was raining, you know. I mean, it was socked in, but, you know, I was in that kill mode. I didn't have any idea what what was going on other than I was going after this bull. Go back down to the truck. My One thing about my dad, he, he's always a positive person when it comes to tracking. He's a really good tracker, um, especially when he's younger and he could go. Um, we get down to the truck and, you know, he's like, I'm like, well, I, I hit him, but I hit him way far back. And he's like, well, you got him. He's, he's dead. You know, he's dead. Don't worry about it. He's dead. And, you know, and all the doubts are creeping in my head now. But, you know, I set out to stock that bull probably about 2.30. It's now pushing 5.30, 6 o'clock. You know, so I'm thinking liver at best. So I'm thinking a minimum of two hours waiting. But we also have this storm. So I tell my dad, and I've been on many, you know, you're, I'm sure you have as well. I've been through many experiences where I've seen guys, and I've also been the guy, I'm not going to say I'm a saint, to push the issue. And push, when you're bow hunting, that's the one of the biggest differences between rifle and bow hunting is, and a lot of guys that convert over from rifle hunting, they don't understand that you have to give an animal time. You may think you can go up there and get another arrow in him, but if it's a suspect shot, you have to give him time. And so I told my dad, I said, you know what, let's, let's just go back to camp. Um, and so we went back to camp and we're sitting there and, you know, I'm by now all the doubts creeping in my head, you know, and I'm blogging all at the same time. So everybody knows everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, all, all these doubts are coming in my head. Like I just shot this bull and I might not find him, you know? And so when we were sitting at camp, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's raining. We're having the, I don't, I don't even think, I don't even know if I ate or what, but, um, I know we made the decision that we were going to leave until the next day. And that was super, super hard. You know, I'm sitting there in my tent by myself. My parents are staying in the other tent here in the rain. All, all the doubts are going through my head. Like, I'm not even going to be able to track this bull. It rained all night, all night. So we get up next morning, bright and early. You know, we're there where I left my, you know, we're up there as far as the road can go at the crack of daylight. My dad, he's packed up, you know. Uh, and he's ready to go to, I left my arrow, I left another arrow right where I, where the bull was standing at the end. When we literally got up 
to the where the bull was standing, I couldn't see tracks. Um, we were two inches taller in our boots because of all the mud. And um, we, uh, I mean, it, it was like, where do we go? What do we do? Um, and so you, you couldn't even see any track I at all? couldn't see any track at all. I mean, it rained so much. I, I don't know how much it rained, but we couldn't see any track. It, at that point, did your heart just sink? Uh, at that point, I thought, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, um, there was a lot of doubt. And what had actually happened is once we got to the trees, or right before we got to the trees, we cut a couple fresh bull tracks from after the rain. And we got on them for about 30 yards to the edge of the meadow. And I turned and looked at my dad and I said, this can't be his. And he's like, no, these aren't his. These are, I mean, these are just an hour ago, you know? And so we turned around, we came back to where the arrow was. And then we went to the edge of the trees and then we could see a little bit of indentations where the cows had ran. And we just anticipated that he hooked up with those cows, you know, that they went out together. So we started on those tracks and, and it was downhill, so it made all the sense in the world. This bull's hit, he's sick, he's going to go downhill, you know, because I buried it to the fletching. And I, you know, me, I, I'm shooting a 32-inch draw length. My arrow's 28, 29 inches. It's buried to the fletching. So I got great penetration. This bull's hurt and he's sick. Um, I actually was anticipating the bull being alive the next morning. Um, we, we trail all these indentations, if you want to call it, down into this draw it takes us a better part of four or five hours to make it a half mile and we get to this next little open meadow and we lose everything in the open meadow because there it's exposed to the rain and we get to we kind of think we trail this bull or elk some sort of elk to the edge of that opposite side of the meadow. And then we jump up a couple of cows in, in the draw. So I look at my dad and I said, damn, those have got to be his cows, you know? And we make it a little bit further and nothing. And so then I start doing circles. My dad stays right there. I start doing circles and this is going to be full uncensored. So, um, this is the, the, the truth. Uh, I, uh, I, I hit my knees and then, you know, I start praying, you know, and, and, and I'm like, you know, just God, just give me a sign what, what to do here. Cause it's noon now and it's pretty warm because it never cooled off because of the rain. It's noon here. What, what do we do and where do we go? And what, just give me a sign. Just give me something here. You know, I want to put this bull out of his misery. I want to find him, you know? Um, and I walk back down to my dad and, you know, I tell him, I said, I'm going to go back to the beginning. You know, something just doesn't feel right. Just stay here. Something doesn't, something doesn't feel right. So the whole time I'm walking back down the middle, down to the beginning where, where my arrow was at, where I shot the bull, I'm praying over and over again. Like just God, just give me a sign. Give me something. Give me something, something, something. I need, we need something. And I get to the arrow and nothing. And I'm like, it's 1230. 
I'm like, this is, this is not good. You know, this is, I'm not going to find this bull. So the only thing I can think of for the next day and a half, as much time as I have, I'm going to be looking for crows, you know, and, and doing circles here. So, uh, for some reason, you can call it whatever it is, and I, you know, and I know what I believe it is. For some reason, I looked down at those elk tracks and I thought, why not? I just follow these fresh two bull tracks that we had backed off of that morning because they were fresh. And I start following them, and I get to the edge of the me- edge of the meadow uphill into the trees, and they're still going. So. My crap, I'm just going to follow these two bulls. And one bull breaks to the right and another bull breaks to the left. And I'm walking through this thick stuff. We're probably only 25 yards from where we stopped earlier and, and backed off these tracks. And I walk through this, I mean, just an opening that's just super tiny. And I literally just duck underneath this juniper. And when I come out, because I had my eyes closed, and this is not bull crap. When I come out, my bull's laying right there, dead. <laughs> and so at that point, I hit my knees, say thank you, and I just start screaming. I'm screaming on the radio, um, you know, just I, I I went from, you know, zero to hero real quick. Um, had nothing to do with tracking skill. I'd say it, it was all – it was Divine all, intervention. It was all God, and it was all – and it was all perseverance that, you know, uh, that, that enabled us to do that. Um, shot was far back. The bull had only gone 50 yards. The arrow had hit the rib and angled up in him. Um, I could have, that bull was dead within 15 minutes. So did it hit the liver? Uh, it went up through the liver and hit the opposite side lung. The bull, wow. the bull didn't go 50 yards from where I'd seen him, but you know it was 30 yards to the edge of the meadow, and he was another 25 yards, so to 30 yards, so maybe 50 to 60 yards into the thick trees. That was so, I mean, it was super thick, and we were. So that were the were the tracks that you followed were the right the right set of tracks that you followed. No, when they one broke. They back? were not. They were two satellite bulls that had smelled that bull up. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, that just was a lesson learned there that, you know, in that situation, you know, exhaust all, all avenues. And, you know, it was the worst case tracking scenario that I've ever been on, you know, and the shot wasn't good from my skill set or from a skill set standpoint or from a shot placement. I just lucked out and it glanced off a rib and shot up in him, um, angled up in him instead of going straight through him. And it would have been a liver. It actually ricocheted and went off and went up in him. So, you know, very blessed. And, and you know, that bull was right at 360. <laughs> Somehow, and this is going to be, at, at the time when I got back to camp, I scored him at 369 and 7 eighths. I just scored him the other day, and he was right at 360. Um, so, is one of those things where I don't know if it's excitement or what, um, and it's not official score, but he was right. He was above my goal, which was 350. He was right at the lower end of what I thought he was, and uh, he was a young bull. So the one thing I do love about Utah um, is I had to send in um, a tooth, and they aged the bull, 
and he was six and a half years old. Nice. I, you know, I wish Arizona did that. I think that would be a phenomenal from a learning perspective. Um, I'm always so interested in, you know, age and, and maturity and stuff. And, and it's something that, you know, I, I really don't know a lot about, and, and it seems like I always want to know, but, I, you know, it's a constant learning um, process on that. Um, but that's cool that you got your bull aged, and, yeah, he's a heck of a bull, and um, that was a great story. And, and, and real, real quick, after the hunt uh, last year, a kid got hold of me from Utah, and he sent me some pictures. He'd seen the video, and I, can't, I feel bad because I can't remember his name. But this is just kind of going into, you know, a little bit of how bulls will travel. Um, he sent me some pictures. They had trail camera pictures of Mr. Heavy way up on top of the mountain. And I did, I looked at what, where he kind of gave me the vicinity where the trail camera pictures were from and then where I had hunted him from. That bull had moved 12 miles. They had put so much scouting time into that bull early they could never relocate him uh, during the hunt. And then they had two archery hunters and I believe a rifle hunter. The bull had moved 12 miles. And, you know, here me, I was, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I, you know, was some superhero here and had superpowers and, and found this bull. Some of it was just being in the right place at the right time, being blessed. But just goes to show you that, you know, like you and I talk a lot, unless you have the means to keep track of a bull, you know, when they move, you know, eight, 10, 20, 30 miles, it's almost, it's almost monetarily and time-wise and physically impossible to keep track of a bull like that when you're limited well, on time and money, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think it goes back to, unless you can cover every single water source in your unit, uh, all summer and during the whole hunt, there's really no way to pattern a bull that you get all summer long in velvet because they're going to move. They're 99% of those bulls are going to move. And in Arizona, you know, they're going to move, I'm going to say minimum five miles, but realistically 10 to 15 miles. That's my experience. Yeah. And, and you know, it's great farther. to get you know, it's, yeah, I mean, there's cases I was talking with uh, the A3 guys, I think Jay and Chad said they had one that moved 21 or 25 miles or something from one unit to another. And I know that happens all the time. Um, but, you know, for the general guy that's going to run eight or 10 trail cameras in the summer, I think it's fantastic to, you know, keep your energy level up and your excitement and to get a potential inventory of what's in your unit. But the reality is, uh, in my opinion, you cannot pattern velvet bulls to kill that when a hunt starts September 15th. No. Now, if you run your cameras all the way through September, in through the rut, during the hunt, that's another thing because then you're getting intel and data for, uh, you know, where the animals are at during that exact time. But um, phenomenal story, awesome bull. Um, I look forward to my hunt in Utah one of these days. Uh do you have anything to add about your experience in Utah um, before we conclude today? It was, for me personally, my own hunt. Um, I've had one, two, three, four, five. I think I've had five archery elk tags in Arizona. Um, that Utah hunt, from when I was an adult standpoint, was probably the best hunt 
the elk of my own that I've ever had. And the reason being is because I didn't have pressure. I didn't have the pressure of, of, of so many people, the hunt pressure. Um, there was only seven tags and it seemed like all those general archery deer hunters and all that traffic kind of by the end of the hunt had kind of settled down. And so only the, the limited entry archery bull tag hunters were actually hunting and there was nobody hunting. I didn't see a soul in a lot of that country. And to me that, that is just hindsight looking back at it. That just makes for just a great experience. I, you know, I'm all in to kill big animals, but I'm all in. So I'm also in it to, you know, have a great experience. And I think, you know, hunt quality was, was awesome. You know, I love some of Arizona's, you know, just bugle fest when they are bugle fest. Um, but it just seems like, you know, anymore, we're just pumping so many tags and some of these archery elk hunts, it kind of takes away from the actual experience. So that's my final closing thoughts. And, and one closing thought I will have with listening to your story is, um, you know, and it usually brings so much emotion with me listening to something like that. And the thing that jumps out at me is having reliable hunting partner. Yeah. And while your dad may be getting older and maybe he can't walk like he used to be able to walk, you know, anybody into the ground, so to speak. You've got someone that's reliable. Yeah. You've got someone that you come back to camp. You've got your mom and dad there. They're cooking. They're, they're, they know that you're putting everything out on the field and that you're an emotional wreck and that you're you know, going at it a million miles an hour. But I think that's the value of having someone in your camp that's your rock and that you can rely on to know that you know, you're a wreck and that they can level you out and that they can be somewhat your voice of reason. And, you know, I think that's a benefit, um, you know, whether it's your parents or your brothers or, you know, your sister or a good friend to have someone that knows you well, uh, that knows that, you know, in the heat of battle, you're going to yell at them. You're going to say things that are completely unnecessary, bad timing, what have you. And they just smile, keep doing. And, 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 you know, your dad, you know, you probably snapped at him a few times. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to sleep in. I'm not even going to go out and glass for you. But having good people help you on hunts that, that love you and that, uh, you know, want you to do better than you want to do yourself is a a huge value. And I think a lot of times people get in camps where there's tons of guys and they can't get that intimate, um, feeling that you have in camp when everybody's focused on the hunter trying to get the best animal he can. When you have a group of you know, seven, eight guys in a camp, it's, yeah, it's fun and you get some, you know, camaraderie and that stuff. But, you know, when you're trying, when, when you have limited time and you're trying to kill something big or trying to have the best hunt you can, um, sometimes it's nice just to have one or two guys around. And, uh, you know, I, I, I take that away from listening to your story. No, definitely. That, that I would agree and, and concur to all that. It's definitely in, when, you know, going back to my dad with, you know, even though he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a, you know, 25 year old kid that could go and, and just do everything or even my age and, and do everything. Uh, I knew the expectations. I knew what he could and what he couldn't do. Um, and I knew where he would be and, 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 you know, and I, like you said, I, I had that trust factor and that's huge. 
you know, that's huge. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, I think from my own perspective, uh, you know, people often ask, you know, how Dar and I do so well on some of our hunts. And the reality is we fight like cats and dogs and we fight like brothers and we, you know, constantly are arguing with each other and debating and what have you. But the reality is having a good hunting partner, I know exactly where Dar's going to be and he knows exactly where I'm going to be because we've been around each other enough that you can rely on someone and you get to know someone's habits and you get to know and it it's it's as a as a hunter having a good hunting partner and a guiding partner is awesome because even though uh you know it just gives you the the sense that you know where your buddy's going to be you know that if he tells you hey I'm going to be over here you know that he's covering that country you know you don't have to worry that hey maybe the bulls aren't here maybe they're over there well, you know your buddy's over there covering that. You can rely on them, and yeah. you know that's an invaluable. I mean, you can't. It's priceless. It you is. can't place. You can't place a monetary or any type of value on having a reliable hunting partner. So for sure, Craig, it was awesome listening to your story about your Utah elk hunt. It's always great having you on, and uh, uh, just look forward to seeing you guys' success this and with your antelope hunts and your over-the-counter deer hunts and and your elk seasons that you guys and the sheep stuff you guys have coming up. So um, I'll, I'm sure I'll be chatting at you soon, but I just uh, thank you for supporting the podcast like you do and, and being a friend of the podcast, and, and uh, uh, we wish you the best of success here. Hi, right, Jay. You have a good day. All right, buddy. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Jay Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.